over time, all of these changes helped me to fill the void. And I learned how to catch the negative self-talk and be positive and compliment my body and love my body and come to acceptance. And I stopped binge eating. I overcame the food addiction. So I think for anyone who's going, oh my God, like, can I ever actually really overcome it? Like a hundred percent with confidence you can, you just have to get to the roots and address what is at the root causes for you. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Seek the Joy podcast. Happy Seek the Joy Tuesday. I'm your host, Sydney Weiss, and on the podcast this week is Amber Romaniak. She's an emotional eating, digestive, and hormone expert who helps professional women achieve optimal health through mindful eating, self-care, and overcoming self-sabotage with food. Amber has a really incredible story, and I can't wait for you guys to hear it in this week's new episode. It is so relatable, and she had all of these experiences and moments that I just so deeply resonated with, and so I'm so I'm so grateful for her level of vulnerability and honesty in this week's new episode. She really overcame her own emotional eating after gaining and losing more than a thousand pounds and struggling with binge foods and spending five years balancing her hormones and digestion, and so now today... She's helping others achieve body freedom so that they can have the confidence and health to create amazing lives. In this week's new episode, we chat all about Amber's incredible journey, overcoming food addiction and emotional eating, the assumptions and programming around food and body image and weight that we take on from a really young age and carry with us into adulthood. The role of weight as self-protection, this was so interesting, and the rock-bottom moment that changed everything. Amber shares the powerful role of self-care, creating better boundaries, and nurturing yourself in creating body freedom, and why self-sabotaging behaviors have such a huge impact on our ability to show up and be present, and how we can really begin to redefine the role of food in our lives. Amber also shares her top tips for anyone who wants to make the switch to positive self-talk, the tools that she relies on to support herself and her clients, and so much more. All right, guys, before we dive in to this week's new episode, I just want to take a second and thank you so much for continuing to tune into the podcast week in and week out. I know that the last three months, this, this whole year has been unexpected and our routines are upside down and things have changed so much. So it means so much to me that you continue to tune into the podcast. I think now more than ever, we need this level of connection. We need this community. We need this inspiration. We need these inspiring conversations and moments that bring us together. Um, and so I'm so grateful and excited to be able to continue to bring you guys these inspiring conversations and topics and moments of joy and connection. And so thank you guys so much for continuing to be here. If you're looking for a way to support Seek the Joy podcast, to support my work on this show, I would be so grateful if you would hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, leave the show a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or really wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, share about the show on social media, share it with your friends. Um, I would just be so grateful if you would continue to help me spread the word about Seek the Joy podcast and what we're doing. All right, guys, that's it. I am so excited to bring you this week's new conversation. Amber has really taken her own 
difficult and personal experiences and is now using them to serve and transform the lives of others. And so I'm so happy that we sat down to have this conversation. I'm also going to be on her podcast, the No Sugar Coating Podcast. So I will make sure to let you guys know when that's live. I would be so excited if you would check that episode out too. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Amber. a huge advocate for building body love, I think, so that every woman can live empowering lives. And I've found that it's often our own experiences that inform our work and um, our friendships or our career or whatever it might be. And so I would love to start off by talking to you about your journey and how you really fell into this space of body love for yourself. Um, thank you so much, Sydney, for having me. I'm so grateful yeah. to be here today to, to share with you. So, um, and I love that you say, you know, it's often that those personal experiences, because if it wasn't for my personal experience of living this all like deeply for myself, like I just can't imagine where I would be today, you know, mm-hmm. if I wouldn't have gone through the body image struggles and the food addiction and the emotional eating. So, um, you know, this is a journey for me that started from a very young age, unconsciously, like not realizing what a significant impact, you know, um, some experiences when I was like five and 10, um, would have on me, you know, up until my mid twenties. And so, you know, I definitely always like to, share some of what are those kind of key pivotal moments, because I think, you know, it helps other people take some time to step back and build awareness of like, what were those moments for me? Like, Mm -hmm. what do I think had that impact on the way, you know, when I changed the way I viewed my body or my relationship with food. And, And so, you know, for me, they're very memorable in that the first experience I had with, you know, kind of being bullied and, um, called names about my body was at a very young age. I was five and we had just, my parents and I had just moved out to a house in the country. Um, and so I had to take the school bus and I was, you know, almost finishing grade one or just starting grade two. I can't quite remember. And, you know, it's just like, imagine like the five-year-old you, this like innocent Mm -hmm. little girl, so excited, vulnerable, shy, nervous all at the same time. Right. Mom like walks me across the road and I get on the bus and I'm just so excited because I'm thinking, who am I going to get to sit with? I'm going to make new friends. It's Mm -hmm. going to be an adventure. And I get on the bus. And as soon as, you know, especially the back half of the bus, the older boys and the, you know, the older kids could see me, all I could hear was, look at her. She's fat. She's ugly. Mm -hmm. And it just, it really hurt. It really, I sunk inside. I froze. I just was shocked. And I thought, they don't even know me and they they're they're telling me this so it must be true because they're strangers and they're seeing me in this way and so i really took on that identity from there and i believe them because i didn't i just didn't know any better and how to you know flick it off and not take it in so deeply and so i really kind of believe that and shape that as my identity and you know subconsciously just was like oh okay this is who i am and i'm always going to kind of struggle with my weight and i'm always going to probably you know be carrying a bit of extra weight around because like my fam, like my mom's side of the family is all overweight. So I'll probably just end up like that way. Like the assumptions and mm-hmm. the, the programming that we take on from such a young age, it's so profound in the way that it 
impacts the relationship you have with your body, your thoughts, how you interact in the world. And then of course with food. And for me, food never called me names. It just seemed like a friend. It tasted good. It mm-hmm. made me feel good. There was always an abundance of like treats and junk food and sweets and baked goods and, you know, things like that around home. And I think a huge part of that was growing up my mom, before I was born, she had multiple sclerosis. And so I think being that there's just certain things that we couldn't do together because she'd get fatigued or dizzy or just like didn't feel comfortable, you know, based off of some of the symptoms she would get all the time. Mm -hmm. I think for her, it was a way to like compensate and, and secretly she was going, I'm so sorry that I can't give you these things, but here's food. What kind of food do you want? Let's eat. Let's go get fast food. Let's go eat whatever you want, whenever you want. Because she also has, and still to this day, has a a deep sugar addiction and food addiction. And it was innocent. It's not her fault. I don't blame her. But I just think like growing up and, and witnessing someone else be so emotionally attached to food and addicted to food and eating all the sugar and sweets and like Mm -hmm. calling, she was always calling herself names and hated her body and was always putting herself down. And I think just all the probably shock and emotional distraught of getting that kind of a diagnosis at 31 years old, I can, I can't imagine, um, you know, what that would have been to then get pregnant and have me and like, you know, both my parents trying to deal with that whole situation. So I think that also had a significant impact because I just didn't know how to cope with emotions or with my mom's situation or like that I had been called these names. And so I just really was like, okay, well, I think probably in order to be loved, in order to be accepted, especially by guys, by boys, to have success, money, all these things, like it looks like you have to be thin and pretty and like all of these things because from TV and like magazines were big, yeah. big when I was growing up and it was just like, well, they all look perfect and like I don't look like that. So maybe if I like diet and like go on the treadmill a lot and exercise a lot, like I can get there. And just even growing up in school, like observing the thinner, prettier girls, getting the attention from the boys and like starting dating at a young age. Like I was way too shy, nor was I in a place where anyone Mm -hmm. wanted to like be with me because I wasn't the thin, perfect looking girl. And so it just, it all accumulated. And so I was dieting through my teens. I I just never felt good enough, very insecure, didn't know how to cope with stress at all. (laughs) Didn't know how to express my emotions, feel emotions. I had no idea what confidence was, no idea what self-love was. And then it was, you know, where the binge eating and the food addiction really took over was, um, I was about 20 just before I had turned 21. Um, and had a relationship end and just felt so hurt and upset and lost because I had this massive void, this lack of self-love that I expected this other person to fill that I didn't realize was my responsibility to take care of. Mm -hmm. And so I got this motivation to lose weight really fast because I just thought that, well, this must be what I need to do. I must just need to finally like lose this weight, be perfect looking, have the perfect body, and then everything will just work out in my life. Um, and so I was restricting calories majorly and exercising two hours a day. And I lost weight really quickly and got to what I thought was my quote unquote goal body and goal weight. And I, nothing changed, nothing got better. I wasn't happier. In fact, I became more critical of my body. I was Mm. picking my body apart even more. Um, and anyone that I speak to about this that I've either had on the podcast or talked to as a guest, like we always can agree that like losing the weight did not resolve anything. And usually it just created more issues because now my cycle was disappearing because I was too thin and didn't have enough body fat. And like, I was obsessing on the scale. So like, if I did good, like, and I reached my goal weight, I was like, Oh, maybe I can lose like three or four more pounds. Like let's push the envelope even more. Mm -hmm. Right. So just Mm -hmm. like almost fueled the obsession. 
and yeah, I just became very arrogant and, and even more self-conscious. And so then of course I'm attracting guys who are super superficial, like more superficial than mm-hmm. I was. And the irony of the situation is when I couldn't keep up with this routine and, and this, you know, restriction and intensive extreme exercise, I just went, screw it. Like, and then the switch flipped and I just started to binge like crazy. Mm-hmm. And I gained like 60 pounds, pounds in four months. And those guys that wanted to date me when I was really thin, wanted to have nothing to do with me once I gained the weight. So, but that was all my own mirror, my attraction. Like if I'm that superficial and you know, all about the external, of course, I'm going to attract other people into my life that are in the exact same place. Right. It's just that at the time I didn't realize and I thought, Oh my God, here I am like living this five-year-old like trauma again of, you know, being rejected because I'm not the perfect size. So for me, you know, that food addiction, that binge eating, it was very severe. Like it it looked like me going to the store and I would go to like the organic store, the healthy store, quote unquote, and be like, Oh, well I can justify this because it's organic cane sugar and like it's organic wheat and like it's organic things. And it's like, it doesn't matter. Like I'm eating copious amounts of cupcakes and baked goods and pints of ice cream and bags of chips and chocolate bars. And like, you know, pasta salad and sandwiches and pizzas. And like, I would binge to the point where I just felt so, so, so sick and so full that it was just like unbearably uncomfortable, you know, both physically and emotionally. Yeah. And then I went through a period of time where I binged and purged for about six months. And that was really horrible because it just felt like, it's like there was this deeper down part of me that I didn't ha- yet know was there, but it just felt so horrible and so wrong to do it. But my ego, my self-sabotaging mindset was just in such full control and like wanted me to have control over my weight or body. And I thought that by, you know, purging that I would not gain the weight, even though I did. And it, it just felt so horrible after I did that. And so I got to the point where I was like, I have to take responsibility. If I binge, I can't purge. I have to own this. Um, and so that stopped, but really what was the rock bottom moment was, you know, after I had finished a binge and I was reading about binge eating and like, you know, starting to do some searching online, um, to try and figure out what was going on with me, what was wrong with me. And it talked about like the health issues that can be created and, you know, the heart issues and the inflammation and, and all these physical symptoms and then the emotional hurt and regret and sadness and anger and deep frustration and despair of like, I don't know why this is happening. I don't want this to be my life. This isn't meant to be my life. Mm -hmm. Like I had such a great upbringing aside from these, you know, personal things. Like I was always happy and had so much fun and went on so many adventures. And it kind of still makes me emotional to this day because it just did not feel like that was the path my life meant to be on, but it was just so overwhelming because I had no idea how to stop why it was happening. And that it just had such a strong hold on me. And so I had like thrown the food in the garbage because I always did that after I was done eating to just, you know, be like, well, I'm not going to go dig mm-hmm. through the garbage. So I'll just throw it away. And that particular evening after about an hour and my food had settled, I was like, oh, I want another cookie. If I, if this is the last time I'm going to do this, then, you know, I'm going to, you know, have a cookie. And then I was like, oh yeah, they're in the garbage. So I went into the kitchen, opened my cupboard and I'll never forget like my little blue garbage can. And I pulled it out and mm. threw and found the cookies and, you know, started eating them on the floor and just immediately cried and, and felt so 
embarrassed and shameful. Like it was just so deep and thinking, I just ate it of a garbage. Who am I? Like, yeah, I just was in shock that I was even in that place. Like almost a stranger to yourself in some ways at that point. Like, yeah. who am I? Like, I totally get it. Like you had that moment. Cause I think there's always a turning point for everyone, yeah. right? Where you have this moment where you're like, wait, did I just do that? Or did it really go this far? Or you just don't recognize yourself, I think in the same way anymore. Yeah. And it's, it's like, there's this part of you that's so sad and so broken. And this other part of you that's so angry and like frustrated that you've gotten to this point. But then there was this part of me that was bigger than all of that, which was, I'm tired of the suffering. Mm -hmm. I'm tired of the fear of the unknown of what it could look like if I try to deal with this and overcome it. I'm tired of isolating. I'm tired of being alone. And like, you know, not going out because I don't feel like I'm good enough or like I'm not a low enough weight on the scale. So I'm not dating. I'm not being social. I'm not going out with friends or like making memories. Like I'm literally going to work, coming home, eating and watching movies and wishing I was wishing mm -hmm. that my life was the movie. And I'm like, I'm wasting my life. And I'm, I'm like going to cut my life short if I keep this up because I don't know how long my body's going to keep putting up with yeah. this intensive self-sabotage with food. Right. So it really was a huge moment for me because whilst I had a lot of struggles still after that, it really motivated me to not let the fear of the unknown mm -hmm. of what's to come block me anymore from starting to take action. And I think that that's so important because I see this, I fear such an epidemic and fear really freezes people and blocks them from moving forward. And I always say, um, everything you want is on the other side of fear, whether that's food freedom, body freedom, learning how to love yourself, the promotion, starting your business, creating success, you know, opening up to love and like a loving relationship, whatever it is, like we get into fear mode. We have our ego, that self-sabotaging mindset. And it tells us all the reasons why we should stay where we are and keep struggling and stay in this comfort zone, even though you're suffering immensely. Yeah. It's so important to work through the fear or get to support to work through the fear because it's so detrimental and it costs us so much physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, spiritually to stay in fear mode. Mm -hmm. And that's where it really inspired me to be like, well, I'm going to figure this out. Like here I am in the jungle, like in the middle mm -hmm. of the jungle, no path with my little like knife, like to carve my way through, right? right? The, all the, the weeds and the trees. And I was just like, I, for whatever reason, feel like I just need to figure this out on my own. I was too, two things. I was too afraid to talk to anyone about it, too embarrassed. And I didn't have the money at the time to mm -hmm. like go and like spend on anyone. Plus I didn't know anyone that I would trust enough to share yeah. it with. Yeah. So it was like reading, starting to read. So sugar was one of the first things that I really started to read about because I was so addicted to it. Every time I ate it, I just lost complete control. I craved it like a crazy person. I was the so sugar addiction is so real. <laughs> it's so, so real. real. And I'm so glad you say that because once I started to read about the fact that like refined sugar is 10 times more addictive than cocaine and it excites the same parts of the brain as a hard drug does. I was, I was like excited and shocked all at the same yeah. time that we live in a world where the food industry is so corrupt, like the big food industry and like they create food to make you addicted so that you keep spending money mm -hmm. on this food and then you get sick and then you eventually at some point probably need prescription drugs. And I was just like shocked yeah. to find that out, but also empowered to be like, 
there is actually nothing wrong with me. Like this food is making me behave this way. Yeah. It's so interesting because you mentioned this a little bit about sabotaging behaviors and it's those sabotaging behaviors that stop you from living your life. It interrupts your work, your business, your relationships, uh, romantic love, friendships, etc. But then the food that you eat perpetuates that level of sabotage and then puts you back into that space of fear. So identifying for yourself, like, okay, is it sugar? Is it, um, whatever it might be, you know, I think it changes then how you can approach this sort of healing for yourself. Oh, a hundred percent. Because not only is refined sugar, you know, that reactive and then it impacts your blood sugar and Mm -hmm. gives you the cravings. And again, it fuels that all or nothing mentality and you just eat it until you feel so full. I started to do more reading about gluten, which is the inflammatory protein in wheat and, and, you know, rye and certain grains that like the gluten content in wheat has increased times 400% in like 50 years. And that gluten excites it has those like opioid like receptor responses that it creates in the brain as well because I it's like I would eat a piece of bread and like all of a sudden be like I want to eat the whole loaf and then the same thing with dairy and then I started reading about casein and that's the protein in the dairy and it's they know that from a young age if they can get kids hooked on this stuff, like they'll have a they'll have a customer for life mm-hmm. because I'd eat a piece of cheese and then I'd want to eat the whole block and I'm like, why? am I so, why is it so easy to lose control with these foods? And so, you know, learning about the way that it impacts the brain chemistry and then like gives us that pleasure response. It just was so again, shocking, but empowering because I'm like, wow, no wonder I always lose control with these foods. And then when I don't eat them, I definitely feel a little bit more, you know, in control. So I did eventually after dozens of attempts, cut out refined sugar, wheat and dairy, because I just felt like it was an important thing for me to do to help Mm -hmm. with my recovery of my food addiction. Now, not everyone needs to do that depending on the severity of your relationship with food, but it's just something that I really needed to do for myself. But it was great because I really learned how to cook and use a lot of new ingredients and gluten-free flours. And like, I mean, you know, fast forward 11 years, there's so many great companies and products available now that it's so easy to do it. Um, but it allowed me to start creating my own recipes and really getting more involved in the kitchen and like doing more food prep and being more prepared with like good nourishing food. But what was so fascinating was I thought that that was going to resolve the food addiction. Like once I could cut out the foods that I was really feeling addicted to, but it didn't because Mm -hmm. then I wanted to still binge on like 10 bananas in a jar of peanut butter or like a whole container of rice pasta with goat cheese. And I was like, okay, this is where the emotional journey really started, which was like, there is a void to have. I'm trying to fill it with food. Mm-hmm. I'll never be able to fill it with food. This is, I don't love myself. I hate my body. I loathe my body because I wanted her to look a certain way. And I've been fighting with her to, to be that weight with diets and restriction and extreme exercise and name calling and, and negative motivators, like spending money I didn't have on personal trainers because I thought that would be a motivator or like buying smaller clothes and like being like, I need to reach my goal weight by this time so I can wear this outfit. Like it was also disempowering, right? And none of it worked. And I wasted a lot of money I didn't have. Um, so that's when I really was like, this is so emotional. I don't know how to love myself and I want to figure out how. I don't know how to feel my emotions. I'm afraid to feel them mm. and I don't know how to cope with stress. Like I, I eat when I'm stressed and I need to figure out how to have healthy ways to cope with stress and 
feel safe feeling my emotions. And that's really when that part of the journey took over and like understanding what triggered me to emotionally eat was really important. Understanding that diets were a huge trigger and that they are for most people, any kind of restriction, understanding certain scenarios that would just, you know, push me over the edge to want to go to food. And that I had created such a deep habit of being triggered and then just mm-hmm. going food that it was going to take time to undo that. Yeah. So instilling habits like meditation, yoga, deep breathing, reading different books. I got big into self-help books, spirituality, like discovering like I have an intuition and like I feel things and I'm an empath. And that also sometimes makes me stressed out because I don't know how to, you know, deal with my energy, right? Like, so there's all these different things that I was discovering, but mm-hmm. I was so hungry, like to, to take in all the information and to like be the guinea pig and start practicing it because it really, over time, all of these changes helped me to fill the void. And I learned how to catch the negative self-talk and be positive and mm-hmm. compliment my body and love my body and come to acceptance. And I stopped binge eating. I overcame the food addiction. You know, I haven't emotionally ate in like eight years. Right. So it's like, thank you. So I think for anyone who's going, Oh my God, like, can I ever actually really overcome it? Like a hundred percent with confidence you can, you just have to get to the roots and address Mm -hmm. what is at the root causes for you. Um, and you can make the changes, but learning how to love myself and knowing that I'm good enough. And I always was, it's just that I got all in this society distractions of all the, like, you know, need to look a certain way and the Photoshopping and all that stuff. It really, Mm -hmm. it made me, feel so confident and grateful for what I went through. And and so after I really filled that void and really learned how to honor my body, my mind, my emotions, it's safe to feel nothing bad is going to happen. If I feel my emotions, it was so empowering. And, and once I was done with the binge eating, which was such a stressor on like my hormones and digestion and blood sugar and all that stuff, I could actually then spend time healing my gut health, mm. healing my and and that took about five or six years after, you know, I stopped the binge eating because I just did so much damage. But again, the beauty is your body's always trying to heal. And if you can get out of the way, she will heal. And, and my body gave me that second chance. And I'm so grateful for that. And, and that's really what, you know, inspired me to then start my business because I thought if I struggle with this and all the other women that I'm now sharing my story with have been struggling or can relate, like how many people, especially women yeah. have, or are struggling with this. And it's like 90% of the female population in North America, you know, has struggled with some form of body image struggles, diet mentality, emotional eating, eating disorder. And like, that is way too high of a stat. Like it's just, it's shocking that it's that high. Yeah, it really is. And first of all, thank you so much for everything that you just shared with your journey. I think it is so, it's always so empowering to hear where someone else has been and where they are now. And there's so much wisdom that you've gained through going through this. And so it's almost no surprise to me that you, you really unpacked everything for yourself and by yourself and that you weren't necessarily working with someone else to, to help you do it. I've found that sometimes we are given experiences or difficulties or obstacles, whatever they might be, um, because we're supposed to learn from them and then be able Mm -hmm. to share that knowledge and that information and that wisdom and that guidance with others. So it doesn't surprise me one bit that that was your experience, but I would love to go into a little bit, this emotional aspect that you shared. Mm -hmm. There are always these moments, I think, in our lives that shape our self-confidence or this sort of need to feel accepted. And when we are rejected, especially from a young age, and like you shared, these boys rejected you without even 
really knowing obviously who you were, I found in my own life that then that leads to this feeling of, I need to protect myself. So from rejection comes this sense of Mm -hmm. self-protection. And oftentimes I've found that that comes with either isolating myself or putting more weight on as a way to self-protect. Did you have that experience too? And if so, I'd love for us to talk a little bit about what that means and and what that looks like, because I think sometimes this element of a need for self-protection can be really subconscious and maybe not even something that we know about or realize or, or recognize when it's happening. Yeah. And, you know, thank you for bringing this up because you've made such a good point. I think that for most people, it's totally the subconscious Mm -hmm. reaction we have to being rejected or a trauma happening or something negative happening, or you have to move across the country or whatever your experience was that you had. And that the body's primal innate response when we don't feel safe, when we are stressed, Mm -hmm. when we are in a state where we feel like we want to hide and not be seen is to put on weight. I really feel like weight is protection that, you know, our bodies put it on when we don't feel safe and we've gone through different experiences that have, you know, hurt us or, or upset us, especially when it comes to that rejection or being called names, et cetera. And so I think part of it was like, well, I don't want to get attention because I don't want to be hurt again. I don't want to be rejected again. So I'd rather like not get any attention and like have this protection on like, and, and part of it too was I really was again assumed and I don't assume this anymore. Um, but I assumed because of like you know, the programming you hear from like your doctor and like your peers that like, oh, well, yeah, like your genes like are everything. And Mm -hmm. so like whatever your family gives you, like you inherit and then like, that's how you're going to end up. So I kind of was programmed to be like, oh, I must be more like on the mom, my mom's side of the family who are all obese or overweight because I'm already a bit, you know, have a bit of extra weight on me as a child. So I assume I must have gotten more of my mom's genes and that I'm going to go in that direction. Like I I really thought that Mm -hmm. because of the way I was eating and the poor quality of food, I was eating my body was like hanging on to that protection as well because she was so stressed out with the abundance of sugar and processed ingredients. So of course she was hanging on to it. What's so fascinating fast forward to now is I really believe genetics only play a small role. And if you listen to like people like Dr. Bruce Lipton, who is amazing in this field, he's a massive Mm -hmm. expert, you know, a doctor and a scientist and someone who now really studies um, epigenetics and how when you shift your conscious and subconscious mind, you can literally change you know, your, your state of health and, and like any imbalances or symptoms that are going on and you can change your programming and your weight and like your habits and relationship with food or money or whatever it is. But again, from that younger programming, I just assumed from what I had heard that that's just what happened, right? I had no idea that you had the power to shift your mindset and Mm -hmm. habits and make all these changes. And so a hundred percent, I think all of those things contributed to me hanging on to protection. And I think there's so many different reasons why our bodies can hang on to protection. Everything from those, you know, past experiences that were negative to like abandonment and fear of being abandoned again, um, you know, hormone imbalances that, that will impact your metabolism and, you know, inflammation, water retention, sluggish lymphatic systems, digestive imbalances, you know, overeating, undereating, not eating enough nutrient dense foods, emotional eating of any kind, restriction, over-exercising, poor sleep, dehydration, negative self-talk, like weight obsession diets, like, 
and then, you know, not honoring like that emotional part of us and, Mm -hmm. and overbooked schedules and stress, like, and I'm not even sharing all of them, but like, these are all things that are like below the water, like in the iceberg. Right. So we don't realize, and we just want the quick fix to go, Oh, well, I'm, I've gained weight. I must not be desirable. So now I need to diet or quick fix to lose weight. And it's like, no, like, how about you get curious and understand, can you explore why you've put on protection and, and understand that it's more than just like, because you're lazy and you, you ate too much because that's Mm. usually not the case. And even if people are overeating, it's, you're not lazy. There's nothing wrong with you. It's just that you have had a series of experiences, habits, and programming that have brought you to this place. And if you want to change it, you've got to be willing to take a different path and and, yeah. and open your mind to different things, right? Yeah, you have to be able to look at it. Like, what is the underlying thing here? And I think what you just shared is so important. If you're someone that's uh, using food to cope or to cope with your stress or your anxiety or whatever it might be, there's really nothing wrong with you. It, there's just more underneath the surface. There's more to that iceberg as you, as you shared. And so for you, did you find that this healing journey for you and uncovering those different layers of the onion or digging deep and really finding out the reasons, you know, why you were using food the way that you were and, and these self-sabotaging behaviors, did you find that it had anything to do with uh, maybe taking better care of yourself or creating healthier boundaries. Um, Because I think sometimes the more that we start to care for ourselves and really understand too what self-love means for us, that's really where the turning point in our healing begins. Because if you don't know how to care and nurture for yourself, it's kind of hard to get that journey going. Oh, a hundred percent. I completely agree with you. And, you know, I think there were certain things that I really was taught while growing up, like street smarts and common sense and like how to be, you know, take care of myself in the sense of like, okay, well, if I get a flat tire, I know how to change it. I know how to check Mm -hmm. my oil. Don't talk to strangers and things like that. But when it came to like confidence, self-love, mindset, building healthy boundaries. It's safe to say no. Like I was a people pleaser. Good God. I wanted to Hmm. help everyone and say yes to everyone else and overextend myself. And then it, and I was then saying no to myself and then I get overwhelmed and that would trigger me to emotionally eat. Right. And then like, I was afraid to upset anybody or create conflict. So I'd often like not speak my truth and just back down. So a hundred percent, I think that building the self-care routine, number one, helped me to create space to feel my feelings and explore my feelings and journal about them and, or just like meditate and think about my thoughts and just feel them and go, it's okay for me to feel this and explore this. And as I did, I, w- I learned more about myself and that I was this people pleaser and that I was insecure mm-hmm. um, and that I was, it really inspired me to want to change those things and, and learning how to set the boundaries and say no and, and, you know, spend less time with my circle of friends at the time that I just felt were not as supportive or healthy for me to be around. Like, you know, those were empowering changes to make. And then going, you know what, I, I actually don't want to drink alcohol for a while because it's a trigger. I don't want to go out to like these certain places for all because it's a mm-hmm. trigger. I want to spend more time in nature or with certain people or reading my books or just spending time with myself because I really feel like it's so important for me to take this time to be with myself because I need to heal this relationship with me and no one else can do that for me. So I, I spent quite a bit of time on my own, but I think it was very empowering and positive and that I needed to do that to like overcome the food addiction, establish really good habits, learn how to cope with stress in healthy ways, which is experimentation with all kinds of different like books and, and, and kinds of self-care. And I think 
it's great to experiment because then you figure out what works for you and what you really feel drawn to, depending on what kind of stress is Mm -hmm. going on. And all of that really, 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 really helped me because again, from the space of manifestation, I kept manifesting jobs and the boss was very controlling and actually very, like very mean to me all the time. And I kept taking it and taking it and I'd get anxiety and get so stressed out and like be treated like crap, even though I was doing really good work. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why am I attracting all of these women who just like hate me and like, you know, mirror, right? You know what I mean? But there was that inner like need to have such deep control for fear of losing control with my body and food. And I'm just like, well, no freaking wonder I attracted all of that. (laughs) Um, when I had my last job and, and was released from that job, it was the best thing that ever could have happened because it was just before I was going to start my business and Mm -hmm. allowed me the full freedom to do it my way. And, and it was so empowering to, to build that because like, I have such a great self-care routine. Now I upkeep it, not because I'm afraid to lose control with food, but because I see the deep value and how grounded Mm -hmm. and at peace and light and happy. It makes me feel that I get to connect with my intuition, my soul, get these insights and, and, you know, feelings and, and, and trusting that gut feeling. And it's helped me love myself. And, and through all of that, you know, I was able to manifest and create a really powerful business that I've had for, you know, seven years now and work with women all over the world and speak and have a lot of really great opportunities and, and more to come. And I manifested a a very soul level, like loving relationship with a man whom I absolutely like fell in love with him the moment Mm -hmm. I met him, you know, but that it didn't work for the, you know, the first four years that we knew each other. But now nine years later, it's, it's worked for the last four and a half years because we both worked on ourselves. Mm -hmm, Right. And mm -hmm. the abundance and like healthy people and healthy relationships and aligned opportunities. Like it's so true when we, we shift our mindset and our habits and behaviors, what we attract into our life completely changes for the better. Yeah. yeah. It's really fascinating. And it's such an interesting mirror as you continue to do this work, you see how sort of your external world begins to reflect your internal world. I think it's really, it's really beautiful and, and really powerful. While you were talking, I was just thinking about something that you touched on earlier about food. The reason I'm thinking about this is because I started to think about my own relationship with food. And in the last, I would say, three months, I've had to cut a lot of foods um, out of my my diet because I'm either allergic to them or it's just part of a, a new protocol that I'm doing. And I realized right away just how much my relationships with others really centered around mm-hmm. food and the moments um, that they, they created. Like food can often, I think, define our relationships and experiences. And I think you shared this at the beginning, but definitely carries this quality of like love and support and nurturing because food's not going to, you know, come back at you with an insult mm-hmm. or hurt your feelings. It's always there, you know? Yeah. I found often that a lot of my relationships either have centered around food or I found food to be that relationship when I didn't have the relationships in my life that I wanted. So if I didn't have like things were going rough with like career stuff, okay, there's food. You're having issues with friends, Mm -hmm. there's food. You're having issues with family, there's food. And I realized, and you touched on this so beautifully, that when we begin to develop relationships in our lives that are meaningful, that we enjoy being part of, food is not 
really going to be at the center of it all anymore. Have you found that for yourself too? Like as you began to have these other relationships, you really had to then redefine obviously the role that food would play. A hundred percent. Yes. So, you know, that was one of the biggest changes was who am I going to be without food? And, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, also having to like break up with food, like, cause it felt like my best friend for a while. It's like a real breakup. Like when you realize like, oh, yeah. I can't have that thing that used to make me feel good. So then how can yeah. I feel good on my own terms, right? Like in my own way without yeah. that reliance or that dependence on that cookie or that cake or that, you know, whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah. And that's, it's so true. And so that's really where my friend circle completely changed as I was healing my relationship with food and myself, because I was finding, yeah, I'd be like, Hey, let's get together and go to the store and buy a bunch of junk and like watch a movie. And I'm like, you're like, no, thank you. It's too triggering for me. And I don't really want to do that right now. Right. Or like it would be largely circled around alcohol and food or like, what's wrong with you? How, how come you're not drinking? How come you're not eating this? And I'm thinking there's nothing wrong with me. What's wrong with everyone else for thinking that it's okay to treat your bodies like this mm-hmm. on a regular basis. Right. And so definitely for me, once I stopped diets, once I, you know, would focus on sitting and eating my food mindfully and then completing eating and going to do the next thing in my day, you know, becoming present was a really important part of, um, letting go of food obsession and thinking about food all the time. And so was, you know, integrating the self-care, um, and, and not planning every meal, not going, what am I going to eat next? Or, you know, worry about like, oh man, I have a craving. I'm going to lose control later. Like, I just think that shifting the friend circle and not revolving everything around food. So if a friend wanted to get together, I'm like, yeah, let's go for tea or let's go for a walk or let's go to the mountains or let's like do an activity that really doesn't include food. And I'm actually going to bring my own lunch right now, just because for me, that's what I needed to do to feel safe. Mm -hmm. And then eventually got to the point where it didn't matter anymore. But there's a certain vulnerability period that I feel like everyone Mm -hmm. experiences as they're overcoming emotional eating or food addiction. And it's different for everybody, but I think it's so important to just honor what you need and where you're at. So if that means you have to make your own food and take it for a while, or if you have to tell people you have certain sensitivities or just foods that you're not eating right now, that's totally okay. And don't be hard on yourself or judge yourself if that's where you're at. If you don't need to do that, that's Mm -hmm. fine. But I think people feel so much shame and embarrassment around like that they'll be high maintenance. And it's like, no, like if this is what's going to be the difference between you losing control and falling back down the mountain this weekend, then like take that stand for yourself because people will often support you. And if they don't, and they're questioning you and judging you and trying to make you feel bad, well, then you maybe you want to question whether or not you want to be spending your time yeah, with those people. Like they're not your people. Yeah. That's what I realized with a lot of people I was hanging out with. Yeah. Like, These are not people. They don't get it. And I'm not going to sit here and try and like beat this to death mm-hmm. and try and explain it to them. But yeah, so as I did all of that, I found my focus largely came off food. And then it was like food for nourishment, not food for anything else, but for nourishment. I just think it's so empowering yeah. to do what you need to do for yourself. Yeah. I think so that's too. The it's your health. It's your body. It's your life, right? Yeah, It's your health. It's your body. It's your life. And at the end of the day, you get to choose and you're in control in that way. I love what you said about this, this vulnerability period that we often all experience where you're sort of raw going through these changes and this level of awareness and really beginning to take care of yourself and nurture yourself in a different way. And I think the tools that you mentioned earlier from meditation to the different forms of self-care that you do, those are really important. And I think when you find something that works works well for you, I say take it and run with it 
And something that has helped me throughout my whole journey has been this element of switching my negative self-talk to really positive self-talk. And tell me if this was maybe your experience too, but I think it's really awkward at first to like switch (laughs) to that sort of space of positive self-talk. Like you go from being hypercritical of yourself and really uncomfortable in your own body to you look great today. You're, you are radiating, like whatever you say, right? Like while you're looking Mm -hmm. in the mirror, do you have any tips or advice for someone who is looking to make that switch to that more positive self-talk, but it feels awkward or uncomfortable. Yeah. And it really does. And it did for me too. I can so relate. I didn't believe it all at first. I felt like a fraud. I was like, this is never going to work. I'm never going to get there. Like, what's the point in doing this? But this is the thing is your ego, your self-sabotaging mindset doesn't want you to heal. doesn't want you to have freedom. doesn't want you to, you know, have success with these things. So it's going to try and do everything it can to talk you out of it. You have certain things that you're used to telling yourself. You have a comfort zone. You have what you're familiar with. And even if it's negative, it's what you're familiar with and what feels comfortable. So you have to remember that anything that you're changing at first is going to feel wrong, weird, uncomfortable, silly. You might feel like a fraud. You might be like, I don't believe it. And and to just allow that because it's about repetition, doing it continuously over and over again, building awareness where you can catch the negative self-talk and go, Oh, yep. Nope. That's not me. I'm sorry. I said that this is actually what I really mean instead. Um, and, and to go into positive affirmation, you know, do FT, EFT tapping and, and, and say positive affirmations, write in your journal, positive affirmations. Like I am healthy. I love myself. I am well, you know, I am beautiful. Like whatever it is that you're wanting to shift your mindset toward focus on that and catching the negative self-talk as much as you can. And I really believe it, like fake it till you make it act as if it's already happened. And what happens over time is that old subconscious and conscious mind programming that you've built up until this point, you start to unwire it. And then you create this new programming and Mm -hmm. these new thoughts and beliefs and patterns that are this positive thinking, these affirmations, and you're taking on this new identity and what you focus your energy on grows and what you emotionally get involved with grows and Mm -hmm. you manifest. So that's where even in the beginning, if you don't feel it or believe it, or it's weird to just keep doing it anyway, because at some point you start to believe it just a little bit and then a little bit more and a little bit more. And you're like, yeah, I'm getting there. It's starting to change. I'm starting to feel better. Now doing this is starting to feel more like me and it's starting to feel more uncomfortable. And what's feeling uncomfortable is is being negative and being critical. And it's like the switch flips. And once Mm -hmm. you have that deep level of awareness and you build those good new habits and you're constantly sharing yourself with, you know, compliments and and positive self-talk, you, it really gets so much easier. And like, I don't know about you, but I just don't, especially pertaining to my body image, like I don't find myself being critical of my body anymore. Mm -hmm. Like I don't say mean things about my body or myself. Like I just, I'm always like, I love all of me and I'm so grateful for all of me. And like, I love and embrace every part of me, you know, that is, you know, perfect and imperfect. And, and it's, I'm just so grateful to be here and be healthy. So, you know, you can really shift that. And, and the beauty of it is, is as you go on a deeper journey with yourself and, and the emotional state and really building the self-love, 
is you realize the journey never ends. You're always going to be, you know, working on other parts of you. Um, there's going to be new things that will come up to surface as you're ready to grow more and, and expand and, and heal some other part of you. And to just be open to that, because I think this is the, this is life's work and this is the best work you can mm-hmm. ever do because when, you know, stressful situations hit or, unprecedented times come, you have, you have so many healthy ways to cope. You know, you can get grounded and find peace within yourself. You, you, you have this deeper inner knowing that everything is going to be okay and that you can Mm -hmm. take care of yourself. I think that there is nothing more valuable than being able to give yourself that through anything then that comes your way because you know, you will be okay. Yeah. It's self-care, self-love, developing inner trust within yourself, um, confidence, whatever acceptance, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not a destination. It's really the journey. And so you said this so beautifully, different things will come up, uh, where you'll learn more about yourself. You'll evolve, um, your understanding of who you are and how you feel will, will change with that. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast and having this conversation with me and where you really turned, I think, one of your, like one of the hardest experiences that we can really go through into such a beautiful and powerful mission to really help other women who are on their way to wanting body love and body acceptance and and body freedom. So thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast and having this conversation with me. Where can everyone find you, connect and learn more? Well, thank you so much, Sydney, for having me. I've honestly enjoyed this experience. I feel like we could just have a full day podcast and, and go could. back and forth and talk about like all so much different more to things. Say, you know what I mean? We could. Me too. And, and maybe, you know, um, when you come on my uh, podcast, we can continue the conversation and, and, yeah. and go further into some of this stuff. But um, yeah, so um, people can find me at amberapproved.ca. There you can read more about what body freedom is. I have a free emotional eating quiz as well. I do offer a 30 minute complimentary body freedom call to connect, talk more about your health struggles and goals, where you're seeking support and maybe what's holding you back. And it's just great to sometimes have a conversation, um, to get some stuff off your shoulders and just see maybe, you know, if there's something you want to do differently, or if you want to explore getting further support. My podcast is called the no sugar coding podcast, which is available on all podcast apps. Um, and then you can find me on Instagram. My name is Amber Romaniuk, R-O-M-A-N-I-U-K. Perfect. I'll include everything in the show notes. It'll be so easy for everyone to find you. And I can't wait to have part two um, of this conversation on your podcast. And thank you so much again. This has been so much fun and I can't wait to share it. Thank you so much. And I'm really excited for part two as well. 